TFS episode number 178. This is Greg Duncan. This is Josh Garverick. Mr. Garverick. Mr. Duncan. How are you? Dude, I am looking at your book right now. Migrating into Azure, transforming legacy applications into scalable cloud-first solutions. Oh, look at that. How has your book been doing? Um, you know, it's got some some modest roots. It's uh I wouldn't say it it's flying off the shelves, but I mean there's there's been some sales and stuff like that, so well, that's cool. Yeah. Are you, are you going to write another one? No. <laughs> you know, I seem to hear that a lot from people who write books. Yeah, with an S, with an S, because they always write another one, even though they say they won't. I know, right? Um, well, first I want to mention, uh, uh, listeners, thank you for sticking with us. We had a long hiatus. It's been like six months since we had a show. It's all my fault. Uh, I, I I was just a uh, uh, lazy Dude, that, that was just it. You know, everybody else, Gordon was pushing me. Josh was pinging me. People were pinging me. Um, Rob, I, you were pinging me. Donald, you were pinging me. And yeah, it's just a long hiatus. We're back. Um, I'm going to try to get us back on a, every other week schedule. I, I'm hoping that the next show will be around January 22nd-ish. And it'll be just us hosts where the hosts can get back together. Because there's some things but with uh, Mickey and Paul I want to chat to them about. But uh, So hopefully we'll be back on that schedule. <laughs> you know, we'll see. I think I've said this before. But uh, I, I could be lying, which... Wouldn't surprise anybody, but you know how that is. Um, so, Josh, besides your book, how have you been doing, man? What have you been up to? I've been really busy. Uh, work's been keeping me on my toes, for sure. I've got a new course that I published at the end of October for Pact Publishing, a uh, video course for Mastering Visual Studio 2019. So I've had uh, some, some time to do some online content there. I uh, d- did a couple trips for work to actually promote my book believe it or oh, not. Cool. So that, that was pretty cool. Just going uh, different cities went to Dallas, uh, New York, Chicago, and chatted with folks about the, the theme of the book and answered questions and had some good discussions. So it was, it was some, some good stuff. Nice. Nice. Are you going to the summit this year? Absolutely. Okay, cool. We'll have to hang out because I plan on going this year too. So. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. It'll be good to see you. Yeah. All right. Well, the reason for this show is that we're going to continue on with our tradition, our starting of the year, starting of the decade. Well, we not a tradition for the decade, but you guys get the idea. Today we have Donovan Brown joining us again for the fourth time. Donovan Brown is a principal cloud advocate manager of the Method and Practices organization. Method and Practices focuses on IT ops, modern ops, DevOps, enterprise platform, and tools on Azure. Before joining Microsoft, Donovan spent seven years as a process consultant and certified Scrum master. Donovan has traveled the globe helping companies develop solutions using Azure practices in many industries. Donovan is an avid programmer, often finding ways to integrate software into his other activities and hobbies. Donovan, welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for having me again, man. I'm really excited. I've been looking forward to this. One of the things I was telling my wife the other day is like, every year I've been on there, we always say, man, it feels like I was just here. But this time doesn't feel that way. It feels like it's been years since I've been here. And I was like asking my wife, like, why do you think that is? And then we thought about it for a second. It's probably because the amount of change that has happened in my professional life in the last 12 months should not have been able to fit in 12 months. <laughs> it feels like three or four years worth of, of change has happened because I know we, I always come on the show. We always talk about DevOps, but DevOps isn't my only focus anymore, right? Like my world has changed so drastically that the league used to be for people. And as you just just read out loud, 
Methods and Practices is the name of the team that I lead now because I don't lead just DevOps anymore. So it feels like, man, my life has changed so much that it feels like it's been forever since I've been on the show. So I'm really happy to be back. So is Method and Practices a new group or is that? It is. It is. So not to be confused with pat, pat, Patterns and Practices. Right? <laughs> That's a different group inside of Microsoft, still doing great work. And uh, I'm going to work with the lead and we're going to film some videos to show how we're similar, but we're different, right? We don't want you to think that one is replacing the other. We're going to work really well together. And Patterns and Practices has their role to play at Microsoft. Methods and Practices has our role to play at Microsoft as well. But what happened was, I always tell the story, I was in Norway speaking at a conference. And I went to sleep and I had four direct reports. And I woke up and I had 20. <laughs> uh, I was like, what just happened overnight? Like, what just happened? And I got Rick Claus's team, which you might be familiar with. Rick yeah. Claus is the green hat IT pro. Like, he's very famous for the IT pro. I have Emily Friedman, who just wrote DevOps for Dummies. She she reports to me and has a team under her. Rick has a team under him. Jeremiah is building a team for VMware Lift and Shift. I actually interviewed a, a great candidate today. And then Abel Wang has now taken over the DevOps responsibilities, right? So if you need another another show going forward, I'd highly recommend you get Abel on here and say, hey, Abel, uh, so now that you're you're the new Donovan, like, what does that look like? What has that <laughs> felt like for the last year? Because I don't think he realized, nor did I realize how much work I was actually doing. And so I started having to delegate it all to someone else. And like every day, it's like three or four emails going to Abel. I'm like, holy mackerel, man. Like, are you? And I was like, dude, are you okay? I was like, I had no idea I was doing this much stuff. But when it comes in, it's like, Donna, we have an Azure DevOps question. I would just forward it over to Abel. And I was doing that like all day long. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious to hear him like be interviewed by you and see how he feels about his new role. Yeah, that's, it's been forever since we've had Abel on. August 25th, 2016. Wow. No, we got to fix that. We got to fix that. Awesome. Good. Because I'm looking for, you know, Great guests. Well, all of our guests are great, but looking sure. for more guests to come on and help us talk about um, Azure DevOps, YAML, the M MSCA, GitHub Actions in Azure Pipelines. Um, well, it sounds when, like you just basically need to have the league come do a show one after the <laughs> night. We used to have a series where you just have me, Abel, Jessica, Damien, Steve, like all of us just come in. The league comes in one show after the other and gives you that. But then when you want to start talking about SRE, when you want to start talking about uh, IT pros, when you just want to start talking about uh, VMware Lift and Shift, I have people for that now, too, which is really exciting. Okay, awesome. Because nice. we don't talk about that side. We, I don't think we've ever had a show on SRE, which is, stands it's, for? Yeah, Site Reliability Engineering, which is really important because when you look at the ops side of DevOps, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that goes on there. And, and SRE is extremely important in that world and how do they measure how do they keep their SLAs and SLOs correct how do you make sure that you don't have all these issues happening that could be avoided if those two teams worked better together so I kind of look at agile as what the devs do and SRE is <laughs> like what the ops do kind of like it's, it's a little bit that's a little nuanced but that's generally how I see the, those two worlds for me and I have a great like David Blank Edelman on my team does amazing stuff when it comes to SRE awesome yeah I will definitely be reaching out to you to setting up a number sure. of shows for that. That's cool. I love it when my guests make my life easy. <laughs> <laughs> so Donovan, I have a question for you. Sure. Uh, we just talked about a bunch of different things kind of blending in, in different directions. How do you really feel about the dev insert three letter acronym here ops? <laughs> it's funny that you bring this up because the reason that I reached out was because I saw a conversation happening on Twitter. 
And someone was basically venting about why do we keep putting stuff in between? Why do we have ML ops and get ops? Like it's just DevOps, right? And then I was like, wow, that reminds me of a time where I lost it <laughs> in a podcast. And I started, started searching for it and I listened to it again. I'm just laughing at myself, but I still feel the same way. I think it's I think it's ridiculous. But it also made me think of something else. Ops is in every single one of those. And I was talking to Anthony Bartolo, who reports to me up through Rick. And one day he and I were having a one-on-one. And I think as an industry, we started to lose focus on that, right? Like we, we don't treat IT pros as if they still matter, and they do. And the reason why is because ops is in everything. So it's not dev ML. It's not dev get. It's not dev biz, right? It's like biz ops, ML ops, get ops. Ops is in every single one of those, even though they'll drop devs willy-nilly, like as if the devs aren't important in some of these scenarios. I thought that, wow, it's interesting. I don't know if the community did that on purpose or it just sounds better with ops on the end, but it kind of drove home the point that Anthony was trying to make. Even serverless, even Kubernetes, even app service all have servers there, right? The IT pro still has an extremely important role to play, even when you move to the cloud. It's not this old relic of a of a of a discipline that only exists on-prem in your data center. That's not true. The IT pro still has a huge responsibility when you move to the cloud. And what I think is we're not doing a really good job of saying that, right? We've sort of almost taken ops as a as a given. And it was almost like we're ignoring them when we're not ignoring them. Uh, and, and we think we need to do a better job with messaging of that. But to, to, to answer your original question, I think it's ridiculous, right? I am so sick because GitOps to me is infrastructure as code, right? Um, DevSecOps is, is unnecessary because security is so much more important than just if you're not, you could be doing security correctly, even if you're not doing DevOps in quotes, right? If you're not doing any of that stuff. And security starts with the actual device. I, I always tell people, you're worried about securing your DevOps pipeline. What about the laptop? Because that's what I'm stealing, right? I'm not going to worry <laughs> about trying to break into your, your pipeline. I'm going to go steal your developer's laptop. Because you're using Git, I have all the history. I have everything. Even though you went and you cleaned up your passwords, guess what? Those things are still in the history. <laughs> and I'm going to go find out what your passwords are because you accidentally committed it to source control. So security starts with the actual developer's machine. And it doesn't even end, right? Because once you're inside of your infrastructure, wherever that might be, you got to secure that too by denial of service attack and brute force attacks and firewall rules and yada, yada, yada. So security isn't just a DevSecOps kind of thing. It's Security to me is even overarching all of this stuff, right? So when you slam it in between dev and ops, I think you minimize how important security actually is because it's not just part of your DevOps pipeline. So when we had mobile DevOps and database DevOps <laughs> and all this other DevOps, I just go back and take the soundbite of me losing it last time we had this conversation. It hasn't changed at all. <laughs> <laughs> even given your new role, it still hasn't changed. Not at all. Not at all. Lifetime. But I thought it was interesting when I realized that ops was the part that everyone keeps. Think about yeah. that, right? They mobile like ML ops and you got uh, Git ops and biz ops and ops is the part that stayed. But devs are involved in every one of those too. But we almost like hand hand waved over that part. And I find it interesting that ops is in every one of them. Yet we don't really still talk to the IT pro organization community like we used to. And I've been trying to empower Rick's team as much as I possibly can. And what I've been telling Rick is, you need to educate me because I'm not a I'm not an IT pro. I'm a developer for 20 years, man. I don't even know what you know, right? You've forgotten more stuff about infrastructure than I will ever know. So please don't be mad or frustrated that I don't know that stuff. I need you to just be patient and educate me. And then what I'm able to do is that I'm even able to advocate for him in our LT. Like, hey, we need to be doing a lot more stuff when it comes to IT pros. We need to make sure that that audience doesn't feel neglected by us because we're all talking about cloud first, mobile first. But 
a lot of our customers are still on-prem in data centers. And what I don't want us to do is over-pivot where we want our customers to be and ignoring where our customers are. Like I speak to all of our important customers and every single one of them still has something on-prem running right now and they still need help managing that. And I have a team that can go help them do that. So I've been doing my best to make sure that I learn more about Azure Aula and the DevOps transformation that you're going to go through. And many times that starts with helping that IT pro who's today working on-prem in a data center and start to use cloud to augment their data center. Not necessarily just lift and replace everything, lift and shift it, but what about being able to do remote backups into Azure as a great way with really dirt cheap storage for you able to do that. Take your file server and move the file servers up into Azure and get global redundancy and reliability that you wouldn't be able to get if you were to do this on-prem. On and not to mention the security with our data centers being more secure than anything you're gonna build yourself. From a software perspective and a physical perspective, like just getting into one of our data centers, even though I have a blue badge, I just can't walk into a data center, right? I mean, it's, it's really hard to get into there. So from a security perspective, from a scalability perspective, there's lots of things that we can start helping IT pros today with and helping them kind of get that inroad into the cloud. And what I thought was interesting was when I was talking about this today, if you look at the four teams that I lead, they kind of lead into each other because I would say everything starts with Rick's team. Rick, let's go talk to the people who are on-prem today, the IT pros that have trusted you for the last 15 years of their career and make sure that they understand that moving to the cloud is not a death sentence. It's enabling them to do more with less than they've ever done before, being able to scale at ways they've never been able to do before in a very secure way, and you still have complete control. Because as a developer, I don't know anything about a load balancer or any of that kind of stuff. Don't ever want to know about that stuff. I don't know all the different layers of a network stack. I think there's six of them or some crap like that. Don't know what happens at either one of them. Don't ever want to know that stuff as a developer. I need people like Rick and his community to know that stuff for me. And all that still exists in Azure. And you still need to understand how that stuff works in Azure. So we're not taking your jobs away from you as IT pros. We're moving your jobs to the cloud as well. And I think that's like the first step is making sure that those people feel comfortable, feel listened to, and feel supported as we start to move portions of the workload into the cloud. And then when they're comfortable, where I'm going to move them over to Jeremiah's team. I'm like, great. You got this huge VMware infrastructure of all these VMs running. Now let's move those entire VMs into the cloud for you. We're going to lift and shift those. And we have really nice integrations with VMware now that make it really easy for you to do that, right? This isn't this arduous task of moving it. It's just another node in your cluster that you can now move workloads to, and you're going to be able to move your workloads from one VM to another, even though some of them are in the cloud and some of them are on prem, which is amazing, right? It's going to be really easy for you to do. And then once it's there, it's time to start modernizing that infrastructure. And that's where Emily's team comes in, right? So now all of a sudden I just hand you over to Emily's team now that you've lifted and shifted this stuff. And let's start figuring out how you can utilize the cloud in a more effective way. And then finally, I hand you over to Abel's team. And Abel's like, all right, man, you're in the cloud. Let's modernize your application. Let's start rubbing DevOps on everything. And you're now fully like cloud aware, cloud ready to rock and roll. And that, that's like, when I look back, I'm like, wow, my team literally covers the entire spectrum of how do I get you from on-prem to running full blast, full DevOps in the cloud. So I'm really excited about the the, the responsibilities that I have at Microsoft now because they, they stitch together so well. And it's forcing me to kind of almost rebrand and step back from just being the DevOps guy, which is what everyone knows me as. DevOps is a crucial part of being successful. So it's something that I'll never let go of. But it's something that I have to kind of step back from and say, okay, Donovan, look at the bigger picture and see where DevOps fits in this transition from on-prem to the cloud. So it's, I'm really excited. And I, I posted a, a tweet with the 
an image of the methods and practices team. And sometimes I just can't believe these people work for me. Like, I can't <laughs> believe these people report to me. This is unbelievable because they're just amazing, amazing group of people. So are you running into the imposter syndrome at all? Nope. Uh, nope. I'm very transparent when I don't know something, right? I think to me, the imposter syndrome is claiming to be something that I'm not and then being found out that I am up here faking it, right? So right. I'm very transparent with Rick. I'm like, Rick, I have no idea what those words are you just said. Uh, I need you to back up and tell me what the hell that means. And then he's like, all right, cool. And he'll tell it to me. And then the light bulb will come. I'm like, okay, I get it. All right, let's go to the next thing. So I'm all about just being educated by everyone that works for me. There's a saying that was, you do not hire brilliant people and tell them what to do. You hire brilliant people and you have them tell you what to do. Yeah. And I have completely embraced that. I'm like, Rick, tell me how to make IT Pro successful. I'm going to go remove the boulders out of your way. That's my job. Yeah, that is the perfect management. Hire people smarter than you and get out of their way. Absolutely. I, I did that when I built the league the first time, right? Because when I when I was first asked to go and build a team, they said, Donovan, and, and then they, they were flattering me. And said, Donovan, we just want a team of <laughs> Donovan Browns, right? Let's go, let's go build a team of Donovan Browns. And I thought about that for a second. It's like, the last thing we need is five Donovan Browns. Like, <laughs> nobody needs five Donovan Browns. We need something much better than five. It's like, what I need are people who know stuff I don't know. Right? right. So often I hire Jessica Dean, who knows Linux and, and Kubernetes and stuff that I had no idea about. And I still don't know much about Linux at all. Right. Uh, as soon as they put PowerShell on Linux, I felt like Superman because I could like, <laughs> DIR and stuff would happen. It was awesome. But that's about as far as I'm going to go in Linux. Kubernetes, I'm, I'm learning, but I'll never be to the level that Jessica is when it comes to that. So I hired her specifically because she filled a gap on the league that we simply had that none of us knew. I hired Steve because I needed somebody who knew SRE and infrastructure as code and like the really the opsy side of, of DevOps really, really well. And because DevOps all up holistically and the people side was so important, I kind of backed myself with Abel and Damien, right? So if you look at it, I hired two devs, I hired two ops to build this DevOps orchestration that I, organization that I had, but they all knew stuff I did not know. They were all better in certain areas than I was, and that's exactly why I hired them. I got a little nervous when we started reorging and my team started growing because I didn't handpick these people, right? And you're like, oh man, do these people really fill gaps for me? Do these people really, are we going to jail our personalities? Do they really want to be managed by a Donovan Brown? Because <laughs> I'm a particular character, right? I mean, some people love me, some people don't. I'm like, is this going to work? And I've been really, really lucky, right? The, the teams have all come together really well. Rick and I have just, I, I wish we had, when I, when I met Rick um, and we finally had spoken, our paths had been, we were like satellites, right? We were both in an orbit of the earth, but right. we were never in the same orbit at the same time. And our paths would almost cross, but never cross. And neither one of us went out of our way to meet the other person, right? No, for no reason, but just busy. Right. And then we finally meet and we have a one-on-one. -on -one, and I think I ended that conversation saying, damn it, we should have met five years ago. Like, <laughs> we've known about each other for five years. Can you imagine the epic stuff we would have done? Uh, by now. So uh, I've just been really lucky. The team has come together. They're all amazing people. And I'm very proud to lead the team. So yeah, I, I'm just I'm just ecstatic. So no imposter syndrome. I just ask a lot of questions. I'm very transparent when I don't know something. Uh, there's no there's no reason not. I mean, I know the stuff that I know. Right. So you want to talk about DevOps all day? I'll never feel like an imposter there. And even if you ask me a question I'm not familiar with, I'll tell you. Right. And I think that's where imposter syndrome comes and gets dangerous is when you try to BS your way out of something because you're afraid yeah. you're going to look less than if you say, I don't know. And the, you should just say you don't know. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. We can't know everything. No. There's just too much, man. Our brains are just, you know, not big enough for all that. And even if you look at Azure, right, you can't be an expert. Oh, God. Sure. Right. There's like yeah. a, there's over 100 services. You might be really good at one. 
right? Uh, and know enough about the others to have a, a, an intelligent conversation. But I can't imagine anyone being an expert in all of it. Well, it <laughs> changes so often, too, that even if True. you, do, yeah. you know, you, you get bone up on certain areas, it's going to be outdated and you got to catch up. Yep. And I, I, I tweet random stuff like, I, how did I not know this? Right. Because <laughs> it ends up. And because I think if I don't know this, there might be other people who don't know this. And it's like simple little features that I stumble across in Azure and Visual Studio. I'm like, how did I not know this? Like, it's because it moves so freaking fast. And then I remember once, like, how did I never click this? And one guy retweeted at me. He's like, Donovan, it's only been there for like a week. Like, you haven't missed it for as long as you think you missed it. Like, like we just released that. I was like, okay. For some reason, I had convinced myself that it had been there for years. And I had never clicked that little pin button there. It was awesome. But, yeah, it just moves so fast. Yeah, I hear you. All right. So. Let's get back kind of on track here. Um, <laughs> like from your seat, what do you think were the biggest milestones, events, things that happened in either DevOps in general or Azure DevOps? Oh, it's it's obviously GitHub, right? Right. And it's, it's, it's the it's the elephant in the room. It's the conversation a lot of us are trying to figure out how we're going to have. But that that's the biggest thing that's happened so far is the GitHub acquisition and the announcement of GitHub Actions, right, which almost right. is like a direct competition for what's happening in Azure DevOps. And we're still working through the, the proper messaging there. I mean, I think they're both going to be around for a long time. No one's made a bad investment. There's like no wrong answer in that scenario. I think I tweeted not too long ago, there was a picture that I tweeted where if you ever seen that screw that you could use a Phillips head or a flathead screwdriver for the same screw, you've seen those screws, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what I did is I said, that's the problem is that screw. And then I showed two he- screwdrivers, a flathead and a Phillips head. I said one's GitHub, one's Azure DevOps, right? There you go. Right? You can solve it with either one. And you're probably going to solve it with the one that you have in your hand right now, right? Like they always say, the best camera you have is the one that you have with you. The best tool, if I have a flathead, luckily I can solve this problem. If I have a Phillips head, I can still solve this problem. I think GitHub Actions and Azure DevOps are sort of like that. There are two different screwdrivers that can both drive the same screw. Where you already are is probably the place you need to invest first, right? Like, let's investigate and see if I can achieve the goals that I need to with where I've already invested my time because Microsoft's going to support you in both, right? So, uh, but that's definitely the the biggest thing is it's just the GitHub acquisition and and the additions that we're making there that seem to overlap in some ways with what's happening in Azure DevOps. And um, Azure Repos is not going away, right? No. No, there's there's a role for that, right? I don't. I have not. Let me put it this way: I have not seen any literature that has an end of end of life for for that. Look at TFVC. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, I mean, it's it's still around, right? And, and we even the Azure GitHub. I mean, the Azure DevOps team doesn't even use TFVC anymore, right? They're all in Git right now, but we still support it. Uh, and I forget. I think once we announce end of life, it's still supported for like ten years or something <laughs> like that, right? And we haven't announced anything, so it's 2020. It's probably 2030 before anything even could happen. And that's if we announced today that we weren't gonna support it anymore, right? So no one who uses Azure DevOps uh, repos or Azure repos has has made a mistake. I still use it for some of my projects, right? Uh, It's not as if I've shifted everything over to GitHub. Uh, VS team and and Yo team and all those public projects, those are in GitHub, that makes logical sense. But there's stuff that I develop every day that's in Azure Azure repos that I have no intentions of moving out for any reason, right? Use what, we use what solves the problem for you. We right. just give you options. At Microsoft, the way that I look at this is you have a toolbox now with a lot of cool tools in it. You choose whichever one solves the problem for you. We're giving you options. We're giving you choice now. But you would kind of, for a development point of view, you would recommend that developers from a professional point of view get familiar with Git, right? Yeah, I don't care if it's GitHub or Azure Repos or or, or, or one of our competitors. 
uh, as much as I used to hate Git, and you can find <laughs> videos of me saying I hate freaking Git, um, I finally eventually said, you know what, It's I, I got to learn this stuff. And what ended up happening is there's a free book that you can get, and I'll send it to you for your show notes. Remind okay. me, I'll send it to you. But there's a book in Amazon, um, Ty Rise, Git something, or it's like a little simple book. And within 40 pages of that book, the lights started coming. I was like, ah, okay, now I get it, right? I, I don't feel intimidated by it because when you first have to clone a repo and then you got to still check out the branch you want to work on and then you got to rebase and it's like, it's just scary and it's and it's weird when you're used to just right-clicking, get latest, and then you get to work, right? Uh, and what I had to do was I had to learn this new way of thinking. And another thing I had to do was stop being mad at Git for not being TFVC, Right. <laughs> If you if you stop for a second and embrace the fact that it's different for a reason and stop being mad at it for not being what you know already, then all of a sudden you free yourself. And I was definitely the person, just like most of us, I hate change, just like everybody else. I just want to keep doing stuff that works for me. And I thought centralized version control was working great for me. And I didn't I didn't have any real pains on why I would need to change it. And then you give me this thing called Git that didn't make any sense to me. And I was very against it. But now almost every project I start, I start off with a get a knit, right? I mean, I just, it's just, it becomes muscle memory and it becomes second nature. So yeah, I hated it at first, uh, found a good book that kind of opened my eyes to it. And then just like everything else, the more you do it, the easier it gets. But yeah, I would definitely learn Git. And that's not just for developers. I would learn Git if I was an operations person too, because your infrastructure code, that all has to get put into a Git repository alongside your, your developer's code as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So as we kind of reflected on the last year of, big events and, and milestones. What do you see coming up during the course of this year as some of the milestones, big events, and things like that that, that are kind of on the horizon? What I want to see is I want to see a lot more with ML ops, right, as what they're called. They see DevOps for AI and ML. Um, what I've noticed there is that we have a lot of data scientists who are not developers producing all these models that need to be trained and pushed through code. And from what little I've seen, because I, I had Damian Brady working on that full time for me, and he would, we'd have meetings and he would, I would gleam some of the information. It's like, wow, they're making the same mistakes we made 10 years ago, right? They're not using version control at all. If they're using it, they're not using it properly. They're not looking at automation. I'm like, Damien, stop letting them make the mistakes we made 10 years ago as developers. We all know better, but they're not developers. They're data scientists. Go tell them how to do this right. And he was like, oh, well, like, no, stop. Human and Han, like, go tell them what to do. I'm like, this, that, let's fix these problems before they they originate because we know the mistakes they're going to make because we made them 10 years ago as developers. Let's just go get in front of that. So what I'm hoping is that we're going to have a lot of maturity when it comes to DevOps for ML and AI and how we're going to be able to integrate that into an, a proper pipeline, be able to use statistics from the success rate of a model to even trigger automatically. Can you imagine that being a trigger to your pipeline to automatically retrain and redeploy your model when your statistics say that you're no longer as successful as you thought or you need a better sampling? That should not be something a human being has to trigger manually, right? That should be something we should be able to automate and monitor through code and be able to determine when we need to go out and trigger off a new uh, training model to send out a new model to our, our, our application. So ML, like AI and ML, how we're going to be able to do that, I think is going to be fantastic. And that's something that I'm looking for when it comes to the DevOps world. Another thing I want to do is figure out ways that we can help customers just migrate their code to the cloud all up, right? We have migrations for databases, which are fantastic. Migrations for Cosmos DB that are fantastic. We now have migration tools for app service that can go look at your IIS installation and say, hey, based on what you're doing in IIS, you can or cannot move your your application as is, or these are the things you might need to go off and, and re-architect as you move to the cloud. And I want to make sure that we can basically just point someone at an existing application, 
point some tools or something and say, hey, can I move this? And what would it take for me to move this to the cloud with, with little or no downtime or interruptions? Because everyone doesn't have the time to re-architect. So we want to move as much as we can as is and then help them start to tease it apart once they're moved off of their, their coat. And I want to have much better flow. Because right now, like I said, we have we have parts of it, right? We have the database part that works really well. We have the app service part that works really well. But what about moving to functions or Kubernetes? Where are those migrations and migration processes as well? So hopefully we're going to have some better, some better um, offerings there as well. Nice. So I have to, I'm going off the rails here. Sure. And I have to ask, you know, Azure DevOps is a new name. Visual Studio Online came yep. back as a new product. <laughs> 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 are we going to get any other renames because i am not going to rename radio tfs until it's like yeah devops for a couple of years and even devops seems like a yep. trendy name that may get eclipsed in a couple of years potentially yeah um i would leave your show tfs for for the i mean why rebranding is hard like rebranding <laughs> is difficult um people want me to rename one of the uh i have a a PowerShell module out there called VS Team that is for accessing Azure DevOps from PowerShell. And it, uh, I think we're about to hit 400,000 downloads, which is, I'm very proud of this. And it's a great community effort. A lot of people committing committing to the GitHub repository. They want me to rename it, but I'm like, I'm not renaming it for a couple of reasons. First of all, people are finally starting to find it. And if I rename the module, I'll lose all my download history. <laughs> it looks like it's like useless, right? Because it's going to start back at one again. I'm like, no, like the fact that it has 400,000 downloads gives people confidence to download it now and you want me to start over again so i can rename it to make someone happy i'm like nope uh, i'm not doing that right so uh once powershell gallery allows me to rename a module without losing my statistics then i'll consider it otherwise i'm not i'm not changing but when i do change it if that does happen it'll be something very generic i will not try to tie it to a microsoft brand again yeah yeah all right so back on the back on script sure uh what do you see are the major the still the major stumbling blocks in the DevOps world? Oh, it's the same as it's always been. It's the people, right? And that's not going to change for a long time. I'm really glad we have Emily Friedman uh, on our team now too, because she does more on the cultural soft side of DevOps, mm -hmm. where Abel, Damien, Jessica, Steve, myself, we're really on the technical side of DevOps, right? We're all about pipelines, automation, the infrastructure. She's more about the cultural changes, the people changes, the softer skills, the process and the people. So, and that's where a lot of people struggle. And when I go and I talk to our customers, those are the kind of questions I talk about. I really try not to talk about what your pipeline looks like, because if your people don't get it, they're not going to be committing to the repository. They're not going to be monitoring the pipeline that you cannot solve this problem with tooling alone. You have to have your people on board. They have to be bought in. They have to be educated on the process. They have to be educated on the goals of what is it that we're trying to do. And as you've seen the definition of Microsoft, value is the most important word of that definition. Right? That's what we're trying to deliver. And unless your entire team says value is what we're trying to deliver, they're going to be working against each other because you have operations teams who are being incentivized and only worry about uptime and, and stability and reliability. And then all you have developers worried about is features and and, and uh, adding new value. Like I shouldn't say value. It's like it's adding new features. To add new features means deploying new code. 
And because they're doing it in a haphazard way, it has a tendency to mess up your stability in your life. <laughs> they're not testing it. So now you have these two teams that are actually working against each other. The ops teams are trying everything that they can to slow down deployment of new code because every time you deploy new code, you bring down the servers, which is bad for them. And the developers are trying to move as fast as they can because unless they ship new features, they're not going to get rewarded. So you have these two teams that are naturally working against each other. But it's because you're not measuring the right thing. The right thing is value, not uptime, not stability, and not features. Because no matter how good the features are, if the code isn't reliable or stable inside of your infrastructure, you can't use the features, right? And no matter how reliable the, the infrastructure is, if the features suck, then who cares that I can get to it 99.999 times because it doesn't work when I do because it's broken, <laughs> not because it's not reliable. What you need are teams that are saying, you know what? We have to be able to agree on what does value look like? How do we measure value to our customer? And when we understand that, these two teams will start to naturally work together because what I would tell my operations teams is I'm not going to incentivize you on uptime and stability. I'm going to incentivize you on delivering value. Now we go to my developer team and said, I'm not going to incentivize you on features. I'm going to incentivize you on delivering value. So now that they're both incentivized by the exact same metric, they're going to naturally work together because if they work against each other, neither one of them now gets the big bonus, right? So what I want to do is you get, but that's a people problem, right? That's not a technology problem. So it always goes back to, you got to get the people to understand what is the common goal here that we all are striving towards so that we naturally work together and let's measure that. You measure the wrong things, you're going to produce the wrong behavior in your organization. And a lot of people just have not seem to realize that. They just find everything they can possibly measure, and they measure it, even if it's actually to the detriment of the culture that you're trying to build in your company. So people, same answer I probably gave last time you asked me that. Unfortunately, <laughs> it'll probably be the same question I answer I give you. If you ask Abel, do that. Ask Abel what he thinks is the biggest deterrent. If he doesn't say people, I'd be shocked. You mean you can't just go buy DevOps in a box on the show? No, even though we named our product DevOps, you still can't do that. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many DMs and tweets I got the day we announced it. Like, Donovan, but you said you can't buy it. I'm like, you still can't. <laughs> Didn't Gordon have an extension as well? Who's Did that? Develop, I could have sworn that Gordon developed an extension that was like Azure DevOps culture or something like that that you could install in Azure DevOps. Yeah, and it just put my definition up there, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yeah they, they pinged me to ask me, is it Donovan, you're okay if I do this? I'm like, sure. I just can't imagine someone who would install it. Like, people were installing it. Like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Definition. Like, wow, that was pretty cool. <laughs> one sentence that changed my life, and I cannot believe that that one sentence has, has even lasted this long. It's been in so many books now, and mm-hmm. it's unbelievable, unbelievable. I'm glad, I'm glad I wrote it. So to... Uh... Talk a little bit more about DevOps. Sure. And I know Greg mentioned, uh, you know, the 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 new phrase smell kind of wearing off at some point and things like that. Do you think we've reached a point where we're at DevOps fatigue in the in the industry? I don't. Um, the reason why is because it's still the number one topic that I get asked to speak on. What I what I find is interesting though is every DevOps conversation I've started with ends with an agile discussion. Right. Because to be really good at DevOps, I think you have to first be really good at agile. And it was interesting. I don't know if I can say company names, but I'll just give you some hints. So I went to Germany to speak to one of our our biggest partners and customers. And I did this huge DevOps talk and they were really excited. And then all of a sudden, within two weeks, they said, Donovan, can you come back to Germany? We need to know more about agile because we realized that when you left, we're not ready. Like, Because I don't know who said it first, but there's someone who said crap ship fast is still crap. (laughs) 
Right? <laughs> so why why produce this amazing DevOps pipeline if what you're producing is garbage, right? You don't want to ship that any faster than you have to. You got to fix the problem. The problem is that you're not producing high quality code and Agile can actually help you do that if you truly embrace Agile correctly, right? Don't just stop writing documentation, have hour long standups and only do sprint reviews when you have something to show. That's not Agile. And what they said is that Donovan, we're, we've tried and we failed come back and talk to us about Agile alone. And I created a deck just for that, which I've given now multiple times. Matter of fact, I'm flying back to Germany again, and I'm going to give the same talk on Agile. And it's really cool because it's, I call it Agile from the Trenches. And it's war stories that I've been through. Like I said, you, you announced I was a process consultant for seven years before I joined Microsoft. And what I did as a certified Scrum Master is I would go and help companies who were waterfall come kicking and screaming into the Agile world. And it's a very painful, a very long process. But what was always amazing was the teams were incredible afterwards, right? And I would go in and say, look, this is going to be painful. You're going to hate me. But when I leave, you're going to thank me. And lo and behold, I would get emails months later, sometimes even a year later saying, thanks for coming. We're still doing great. Like you really helped us do Agile correctly. And now what I've noticed is that I don't think we've reached a DevOps fatigue so much as we've realized that, holy crap, DevOps is hot and we're not ready for it yet because we're not good at Agile. Donovan come in and re- we talk to us about Agile. So I've been doing that a lot. And I think I have a lot, I'll be doing that a lot more this year than last year to get people ready for, to really truly reap the benefits of what DevOps has to offer. You got to first be good at Agile and get everyone to the table to talk about that. So I don't see it because that's still one of the most top, I mean, most requested conversations people want me to have with our customers is, is starting with DevOps. And then we end up with app innovation as well, being probably a very close number two about what I talk about. All right, I'm going to replace my next question with this one. What, People aren't doing agile, dude. Dude. Okay, so so let's be very clear. If you were to, and I and I and I always say this one. If you see me on stage, I'm like, how many of you think you're agile? I always say the word think. I never say how many of you are agile. How many of you okay. think you're agile? And they all giggle as they raise their hand because they know that they're not right. They know that they're skipping rituals. You, in my opinion, I'm very dogmatic. I'm very anal retentive when it comes to doing agile. Right? You cannot tell me that oh, we don't do sprint reviews every. Sp- sprint unless we have something to show at that moment you're not an agile shop for me right doing a sprint review is not an option you don't just do it when you finally have something to show because if you only do it when you have something to show and you only have something to show every six months you're a waterfall shop right you're not a freaking agile shop you should have something to show every single sprint whatever your sprint length happens to be and if you don't you should still have the meeting and you should explain to your stakeholders why you have absolutely nothing to show, why you made absolutely no progress in the last sprint. Because whatever impeded your progress that last sprint, you'd be shocked. The people who can help you clear that impediment are probably the stakeholders in that room. And the reason that I say that is because it happened to me personally. We were we were it, working on a sprint. We had like four top line, line items that we were product backlog items you we were trying to deliver. We could only deliver three of the four in the sprint. And I and my team was so disappointed. They wanted us to cancel the sprint review. I'm like, no. Like we're going to have the sprint review. We still have a lot of great progress to show. And one of the one of the pillars of being agile is to being transparent. So we're going to go in there. We're going to tell them exactly why we can't show them the fourth item. So we went in. We did the three items. We showed them to the stakeholders. And I got up and said, okay, now you're all are expecting to see this particular item. We're unable to deliver that item because the third party vendor that we are working with was not very um, helpful to us. They were really holding back on the APIs. We're still trying to work through getting the APIs that we need so that we can finish this particular feature. And then one of our stakeholders said, really, they're difficult to work with. Hold on, in the meeting calls the freaking vendor, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, by the way, like I really need you to change your tone and your attitude because this team is working on a project for me. They pay them a lot of money 
for us, some of them to support us. Next thing you know, we got an inbox full of everything that we needed. <laughs> had we not been transparent, had we skipped that particular meeting, I honestly believe we'd still be waiting for those APIs to this very moment. But by being transparent and having the meeting, even though we could not show 100% of what we wanted to show, allowed us to have that impediment cleared by one of our stakeholders. So when, when people say they're doing agile, the first thing I start to ask them is, do you do a sprint review every sprint? Well, no. I'm like, then you're not an agile stop. Stop calling yourself an agile shop. Do you do a daily standup? Well, we used to, but they were an hour long and we got tired of them. So we don't do daily standups anymore. I'm like, well, you're not an agile shop, right? Stop calling yourself agile because you took bits and pieces that you finally kept, which is basically we don't write documentation anymore. And we work in three-week sprints, even though we get nothing done in a three-week period. And it takes six months before we deliver something, but we're an agile shop. So yes, you'd be surprised how many people say that they're agile. And then how few of them actually are a highly functioning agile team, right? They're very, very rare. And that's what my talk is about. It's about explaining to them that the rituals are there for a reason. If you were to skip the ritual, you're skipping the value of that of that meeting. And the reason that you're probably skipping it is because you don't understand why we're having this meeting, right? It's a lack of education. If you knew why we had a daily stand-up and you knew it wasn't micromanaging and it shouldn't be an hour long and it's about inspecting and adapting on a daily basis, you'd have the freaking meeting and you'd have it more efficiently. If you can't have it in 15 minutes, either you're not running it right or your team is too large. Like there's very simple, right? You cannot have a 15-minute daily stand-up with 40 people on a team. <laughs> and you shouldn't have a 40-person scrum team, to be perfectly honest, right? So like talk to me about why you're not doing the things you're supposed to be doing and let's fix that so that you are an actual agile shop. So You'd be surprised how many people like, – you, you think it's bad that people aren't doing Agile. You'd be surprised how many people don't use source control. Right? These are companies that <laughs> la, you know. No. Exactly. Zip file and file shares. Oh, my God. That is not version control, right? So, uh, yeah, it's 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 scary seeing behind the curtain sometime, right? It's, it's really frightening to see behind the curtain, but we're here to help them. All right. So uh, – to kind of go off of Josh's question, what about scrum fatigue? You know, they start with scrum and six months they're doing all the rituals and then they just, the same product they're delivering, but then you start getting tired and then you start doing scrum butt, you know, well, we're going to do scrum so that, butt this scrum and then scrum fatigue? butt butt and then it's just. Is that stinking. scrum fatigue or is that just I'm bored of working on the same project over for the rest of my life? Because I've been there too, right? I remember I worked on the same project for three years, I was a sole developer on a pneumatic tube system software that still runs in Johns Hopkins to this very day. And at one point, you look at that code and you're like, I never want to see this code again. <laughs> I'm just so sick of seeing the same freaking lines of code every freaking day. And so I don't know if that's process fatigue. I don't even call it scrum fatigue. I don't know if it's the process or it's just the fact that I'm bored with this code base. I'm bored with this particular problem. And I think one of the ways that was interesting that the Azure DevOps team would do is every 12 to 18 months, they would allow the team members to choose another team to work on. Because there's like 50 scrum teams that make up the Azure DevOps team. And if you didn't want to work on freaking Git anymore and you wanted to go work on work item tracking, you could go do that, right? You could kind of get this fresh reboot. You're still working in a, in a domain that you're comfortable in on a product that you know and love, but you're no longer looking at the exact same freaking lines of code for the next 18 months, right? You kind of get keep it fresh. And I so I don't know if it's scrum fatigue so much as it just – Am I looking at the same freaking lines of code again? Because when you, I don't, I wouldn't call it fatigue when you do Scrum correctly because it just becomes muscle memory. You don't even think about it anymore, right? I've been on really successful Scrum teams for a long, like 18 months, 19 months before I go to another customer and start all over again. But no one was like, man, I'm so tired of, of this daily standup. It's like, no, it's like 
every morning at eight o'clock, I walk over here. I answer my three questions. I get my butt back to work. And three weeks from now, we're going to go have our daily stand up, our retrospectives and our planning meetings. It's like muscle memory, not fatigue is the way I would describe it. All right. Does that make sense? And then um, one of the other things I was thinking about when we were talking about that is, like I said, I think people just get bored working on the same problem. Mm-hmm. Scrum and Agile just should become muscle memory to where it's not something that you're even thinking about to get fatigued. I think fatigue sets in when you keep doing the same thing and you're not seeing progress, right? If I were doing the same thing and I'm like, I'm not getting success, I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm tapping out, right? This isn't working. But I think if you're doing all the rituals of Scrum and you're doing it correctly, you're going to start to succeed. I don't think you can do it correctly and fail, right? Everyone that I've ever heard that's failed at implementing Scrum or Agile were Scrum butts. Yeah, we do Scrum, but we don't do this. Or we do Scrum, but we don't do daily standups every day. Uh, and those butts are why you're failing, not because of Scrum. Right. Did you guys, Did you rotate, guys rotate Scrum, scrum masters? masters? Ooh, that was, yes. And the Azure DevOps team, which is very clever, uh, they did. And what was interesting there is when I first heard that, I was like, what are you talking about? That's crazy, right? Because it takes a lot of effort to be a good Scrum master. But then it dawned on me that that's exactly how I became a Scrum master. <laughs> and I was on a Scrum team. It was a really, really silly way I was introduced to a Scrum team. I get flown into Florida. I just get added to a team. I literally walked into the building, found my desk, and the guy across me said, oh, it's time for a daily stand-up. I'm like, what? It's like, yeah, we're a scrum team here. You got to do a daily stand-up every day. Just come with me. You'll understand in a second. So I come with him. We go to where this team is standing, and scrum master looks at me and says, so uh, what have you done since yesterday? I'm like, dude, I just got here. Like, I like, literally just showed up. My name's Donovan. you like, how are you asking me, Chris, about what I got done? You don't even know who I am. Like, so what are you going to get done before tomorrow? Like, I hope to have a badge by tomorrow. Is that is that progress that I'm supposed to be making? Like, I don't know why I'm answering these questions. And then after I answer the last question, is there anything stopping me? Like, yeah, I don't have a badge yet. And then I go back to my desk. And I go, okay, that's a daily stand-up. We just do that every day. I'm like, really? This is Scrum? Like, I thought Scrum was more than this. But that's how I was introduced to Scrum. And I was a horrible team member. I would never update my work remaining on my work items because I didn't understand what a burn down chart was because I never actually looked at a burn down chart. So every Friday I would go and zero out everything that I'd actually worked on that particular week if I was done with it. If I wasn't done with it and it was a 12 hour task, it still looked like it had 12 hours on it. So I wasn't done with it yet. I didn't update them every day. So the burn down looked like a set of stairs that would only go down every Friday. And as a scrum master, that's really hard to use that chart. That chart's not good for you at all. Fast forward six months. I get put into the role of a scrum master and now all of a sudden I'm looking at burn down charts and I'm understanding how bad of a team member I had been because now I need that thing to burn up because most burn downs burn up for the first few days of your sprint. As people get in there and realize, holy crap, there's more work here than I thought, but hopefully some things that you estimated longer are actually shorter and it's going to balance out and you're going to pick up your trajectory and you're going to make your date. But if you don't update your task every day, it just looks like these weird random stair steps and you can't utilize it. So it was me being a scrum master and understanding what it felt like to have to read a burn down that wasn't burning down, how it felt to have to be able to clear impediments that weren't being identified in the daily standup like they should have been because the developer's too proud to admit that they're stuck. And I didn't have the experience to go to that engineer afterwards and ask follow-up questions on like, why are you still working on something you should have been done with already? Let's figure out what that impediment is so I can go and clear it. But it was being a scrum master taught me how to be a better team member the next time I was actually a team member on a scrum team. So I would update my burn down, my, my task so it would burn down correctly. I was much more transparent in our daily standups so that I could have any of my impediments cleared by my scrum master. So when I heard that the Azure DevOps team was rotating their scrum masters, At first, it threw me off, but then I thought, holy crap, those people are probably amazing team members because they understand the pain and the cost that it is to be an actual scrum master. So I think it's a brilliant technique to be able to then 
also build out an army of scrum masters that you can now use throughout your organization to help agile and scrum spread throughout your organization. So um, it, it might not work everywhere. It works really, really well on the Azure DevOps team. And, and funny enough, that's exactly how I became a scrum master too. All right. We're, we're kind of running, running out. Uh, we're getting an echo there. Okay. Yeah, we're kind of running out of time. I, I don't want to go over too long. Uh, Josh, do you have like a final question? Yeah, this, this one's uh, one that I've always been kind of curious about. So in relation to Azure DevOps, what do you think is the most underappreciated feature? I think the approval gates um, and the release gates inside of a, inside of the release pipeline. Those are something I think we should be beating that drum a lot, a lot louder. And whenever I show it to customers, they light up like, oh, my goodness. So now I don't have to send out all these emails asking if everyone's ready to deploy. Like, no, like it'll do it for you. Right. It'll freaking collect all the approvals for you. It'll collect them in the order that you want them to collect it, because sometimes you might you don't want everyone to be emailed if if Donovan says no, there's no point in emailing everyone else. You could actually say email Donovan first. If Donovan says yes, then let's go down the line and get everyone else's approval. But if Donovan says no, there's no point in inundating everyone else without the spam that no matter what they answer, it's not going to be their answer that they want anyway because Donovan's already said no. The fact that we can integrate with ServiceNow, for example, as a third-party tool that a lot of our customers use, instead of you having to have a DevOps pipeline that just stops and then you go off and do this stuff inside of ServiceNow, and when it's done, someone has to remember manually to come back over to Azure DevOps and trigger the next stage of your deployment, you can now use a release gate that communicates with ServiceNow. So the pipeline pauses like it's supposed to, you now get all these notifications in ServiceNow. You go do your whole workflow in ServiceNow. And as soon as ServiceNow is satisfied, Azure DevOps was like, oh, you're satisfied now. Let me just keep going. I don't need a human being to come back over here. So you can integrate our tooling with any type of approval process that you need. And that's something that I see a lot of people building pipelines with. No, I call them with no brakes on them, right? They're like, they will literally just automatically go to dev, QA, staging, and prod with no brakes. I'm like, dude, you, at some point, you probably want a human being to at least look at something. Like, and you can automate that to, to some extent by having release management know when to pause when to query people, and then what to do with their actual information on the way back. So approvals are one of the things that I notice people really don't take a lot of advantage of when I look at people's pipelines. Now, approval gates, are, how do you feel about approval gates being used as like a security mechanism? You know, you have an ISO separation of concerns. Um, I think you need, to, you need to utilize them however is best for you. So I don't think I have a really negative opinion of that. The whole point of a, of a release, there's release gates and there's approvals. I'm going to kind of separate those. An approval okay. is I'm going to stop and I'm going to ask people for their permission to continue. A release gate is, can be, is automated, right? You're basically calling out to some third-party system, it be it an Azure function or you're reading metrics from App Insights or you're calling out to the service now. So an approval versus a release gate. Now, release gates are really cool because you can call whatever you want. Like you can write them from scratch. You can have them call in Azure Function. So if they need to go off and verify some security, verify rules on your firewall, make sure that your IP is protected, make sure you have SSL certs. There's a lot of cool security stuff we could verify before we move on to the next stage of a deployment, which is really cool. But I think you need to use them, just you'd be smart with them, right? You don't mm -hmm. want it to be this huge workflow that is actually slowing down the process. You want it to be strategically used. And I use them for, for example, you can have, approvals before an environment and after an environment. And what I normally do is I will bookmark my uh, my uh, QA environments with before you go in, you have to get the QA leads permission to go into that environment. Right. Because sometimes yeah. it takes weeks to do verification of an environment and you don't want every CI build <laughs> their way into QA because you, you basically have to start all your testing over again, right? And they don't know what they've tested. So I usually put a gate in front of QA saying, ask the QA lead 
can you go into their environment or not? And if they say yes, that basically, and what's really cool is they can either say yes immediately or they can schedule it and say, yes, but don't do it till Friday night at midnight. We'll be done with our testing by then. That way, Monday, when we come in, we're going to have a fresh new version of the app that we can start deploying. So I love having that gate in front of QA saying, can I or can I not go into your environment and when? And then I also have a gate at the end of QA saying, should I go into staging uh, from here? Because if over that two-week period, there's a lot of technical debt or a lot of bugs found. Why am I even going to ask the people, should it go into staging or prod or any of that stuff? The QA lead now has the ability to say, nope, there's way too much technical debt. This cannot leave QA. Kill it right now. And we'll kill that release. And then they can let the next CI build in and see if that CI build has enough quality for them to finally get past that last approval to get them out. So I use approvals in several different ways, right? Not just does everyone raise their hand and say it's okay, but can I go in? Can I leave? Who has the permission to say that? Maybe I want my IT pros to be before staging or before production. Like, is everything ready? Uh, you, there were some some task in our board for you to go off and secure some particular infrastructure, per, make sure that it was ready or whatever the case might be. And I want them to get their approval that, yep, everything's ready. Like, this deployment's going to be successful for me. For, so I use them in a variety of ways. I don't have any, I don't think I've seen any where I'm like, oh, never use approvals to do that. I've never seen that scenario. Okay. All right. So, um, last question. Sure. What should we have asked you, but we didn't? Oh man, that's um, that's a good question. But I think we've covered a lot, like we always do every year. <laughs> we've covered reorganizations. We've covered the. I think I don't know. I don't know that anything's jumping out that to me right now. Okay, I got one. Um, is there an official TLA or FLA for Azure DevOps yet? You know, three-letter acronym, four-letter acronym. ACDO. No. The one that I hear the most is ADO, which is kind of funny oh, because God. as you said, that VSO came back as another product. Yeah. Almost was like ADO did as well because ADO does not mean Azure DevOps. It's right. freaking active data objects or whatever they call yeah. yeah, active X data. So to me, every time I hear ADO, I cringe a little bit because I'm like, dude, I, that's already something else and I don't want to go back there. <laughs> like I'm, I'm happy that we're not there anymore, yeah. but that has been the one that I hear the most, right? And right now, I think I just call it Azure DevOps too, because I got tired of trying to like say to the person whatever acronym they said back to me, because there's so many of them out there right now, AZD, AZDO, ADO, uh, there's just so many of them. Like, just call it whatever you want as long as you use it, right? That's my, <laughs> my biggest thing. Just, that's an amazing product. Uh, I'm a, still a huge fan of it. Uh, what you can do with it is just unbelievable. Like some of the things that I've built with that product are just unbelievable. I did, I did this one talk. I think it was, I did it as a keynote for VS Live the first time. I think it's recorded somewhere where I talk about a disaster recovery, a full disaster recovery. And I, I go through all the stages of denial as your site's down and you obviously deny it. No, it's not. Right? <laughs> and you, you get angry and there's bargaining and there's ne and then negotiation. And then finally acceptance that there's a problem. And what I, what I had envisioned was someone had accidentally gone into my Azure subscription and deleted every resource period. So I went into my subscription. I do this on stage. There's not a single resource group in my entire Azure subscription where my app is supposed to be. Right. And this would normally be like, I would quit my job right immediately. And it's like, okay, I quit because I'm about to get fired because somehow I let this horrible thing happen. And what I do instead is I click a button that says, just deploy the code. And when we deploy the code, it deploys all the infrastructure for DevQA and prod. It even reaches out into GoDaddy and updates the DNS records to the new IP address of the Kubernetes cluster that I just spun up, right? So you go from literally having absolutely nothing to a full functioning app by pushing one button, right? And like that's the power of Azure DevOps is that I can literally, disaster recovery to me is just a deployment. It's nothing special. It's nothing to get a, a, upset about. 
it's the way that we deploy our code every single time. I just push a button or I commit a code to a repository and my entire infrastructure is spun up. All my DNS records are created for me. All my Kubernetes clusters, my everything is done for me. It's just an amazing ex example. And if you talk to Abel, I, I showed him that demo. He took it even further where he has another Azure subscription with database backups in it. So when he restores his database, he actually looks to see if it's empty. And if it is, then goes and draws a backup from his other subscription into this subscription and restores the database as part of his pipeline every freaking time. It's amazing <laughs> what you can do. So yeah, I would, um, that's one of the things I think is amazing is just the power of Azure DevOps is incredible. Awesome. Um, what's the best way people can connect with you and your team? Yeah, always Twitter. Uh, Twitter is still the number one way to get a hold of us. We're all out there. You can still use the hashtag LOECDA. That will uh, get the league's attention if you need anything. We don't have a hashtag for methods and practices yet, but maybe we should have a hashtag MNP or something. Uh, so that if you need to get to my entire organization, you might be able to get to us that way as well. But yeah, at Donovan Brown on Twitter is the best way to get a hold of me. All right. All right. Well, my friend, I appreciate it. And um, we'll have to do this again next Absolutely. January. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you might as well send me an invite right now, man. Uh, <laughs> it's been an honor to be the first show every year, and I'll do this as long as you'll have me. Oh, awesome. Well, thanks again, man. No problem. If you guys want to connect with us, you know how to get a hold of us, right? Come on, y'all know how to. All right. Radio TFS at Outlook.com. We're on Twitter at Radio TFS. We're on Facebook as well, slash Radio TFS. Send us a voicemail. 1-425-233-8379. And you could be on the air, kind of, sort of, in a way. Well, ladies and gentlemen, happy new year, happy new decade, and thank you for listening to TFS.